I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window, throwing parties in a ten by seven cell. It's a standing the legs I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help. Yeah, I am waving while I drown. Don't bother swimming out to save me. I will only drag you down. I'll try to use your body as a life raft. 'Cause if there's room enough for one, there must be room enough for two. I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset, sipping on savory water till my liver turns blue. Put down your pens, put down your pencils, step away from the keyboards, and settle in for this week's episode of The Writer's Block. First and foremost, I need to thank Grassroots Cava House for the cava that I'm drinking on today's episode, as well as Muddied Waters Media for allowing me to do this show, and Don and Sally Wright, once again, thanks for giving birth to me. Uh, to all of those, I say, Bula Vanaka. Today, I'm very excited to have on... Uh, actually, this is the second time he has been on a Muddied Waters Media program. Mr. Andrew Heaton, the host of Something's Off with Andrew Heaton, which you can find on every podcasting service and see the videos on Blaze TV. Andrew, thank you for coming back on. Thank you for having me on. Do, am I able to get free coffee if I mention it on my podcast? Is that the perk that yes. I've been missing out on? Yes. I but- should. I, I will do that and immediately also read out to the nation of Scotland so that they can uh, bring me some scotch. All of that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's good to be back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You're uh, you know, one of my favorite guests I've ever had on, so I was very excited oh, to get you. you get you back on uh, this year. We You actually were on last year for your birthday. Uh, Did I do this on my birthday? I, that, that makes me sound like kind of like a, an Ebenezer Scrooge type where I'm doing media hits when it's on my birthday. Well, I was happy to have you on on your birthday. Yeah. I mean, it was very exciting. And you know what? I'll say that, that, that it makes you feel like you're special on your birthday. So it, maybe that's maybe I should do that annually. Right. <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know that I survived another year. I am now 35. Excellent. Excellent. I, uh, I'm coming up on my birthday, and I will be just slightly older than that. Uh, really? Yeah. It, I, I look older, which infuriates me. <laughs> I am enraged. So uh, I actually found out about you from Reason TV. Uh, when you were still doing uh, Mostly Weekly, which was one of my favorite, favorite internet uh, sketches. It was a lot of fun putting that together, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and uh, I watched all of those religiously as the moment that those would come out, I would definitely uh, find them. I would find them. But you did one. You did one that said, uh, I believe it was entitled, Everyone You Love Does Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. Because when you actually get into the history of that, there's a lot. I, I, I don't want to just encourage listeners to rampantly try drugs. That's not the point of that. But there, there is a certain stigma there that, that I think needs to be reduced where um, a lot of very intelligent, very successful people that you know and love we're probably doing some really illegal stuff at some point. Yes. And we, we walked through a number of those that you're like, oh, they were on drugs. Yeah, they were on drugs. They were doing some interesting. I mean, I think most people know about Steve Jobs and that, you know, he, he tried LSD. Seems to be some evidence that, that uh, tried uh, is a Gates very loose it. term. Tried yeah. LSD I, is a very I don't, I don't know the exact amount of LSD he did, but presumably enough, it's enough to get a horse really, really messed up. Yes. Uh, if, if you do it all at once. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, that's one of those things. I, I would really like to move to a, a point where we view drug drug problems first and foremost as a medical problem rather than as a civil problem. I, I think we're still kind of stuck in this weird 19th century puritanical mindset of you have put something profane in your body, so we're going to lock you in a cage. I don't think that's helped anybody. Um, and I'd, I'd rather there are people, you know, I, I am very worried about. Uh, you know, the opioid crisis and heroin addiction and that kind of thing. But for other stuff, I got to say psychedelics, I would legalize tomorrow. I, I, th I think that the, the capacity for, for uh, bad things happening with them is very minimal. The capacity for good things is great. Um, I, I would like it. I would, I would actually want like a, I wouldn't want people just doing LSD for kicks, like uh, just for fun on a college campus. I think they should almost approach it sacramentally. But that said, if they were to do that and they were to go, you know, I'm going to do this very interesting, weird experience because I, I want to expand my mind and they're going to do it responsibly. And also because it was legal, actually know what they were putting in their body and, and be able to know they weren't going to inadvertently take rat poison or something. I think a lot of good would come out of it. And I'm confident a lot of great music would come out of it. Oh, a lot of great music would come out of it. A lot of great art would come out of it. A lot of great ideas would come out of it. Like, with, you know, pretty much everything that Apple has come out with can probably be traced back to Steve Jobs. It, it, it would also be a fascinating way to kick off, rather than beginning your podcast with, uh, uh, thank you, Kava House, or whatever the, the uh, vendor was for providing this coffee. I want to thank uh, Bill's LSD. I just <laughs> took a hit. It's going to kick it in about 15 minutes. If I look like I'm getting super heavy, it's it's just going to, we'll just see what happens, folks. I would I would definitely, I would really, I, I hope a week a year, just go to Burning Man and do, do a hit of LSD right before you start your show. I would love to watch that. I, I am willing to bet that if Bill's LSD started sponsoring this podcast, I would get a lot more guests. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, I, it, would, it, would be, it would be an interesting game changer. It would definitely be like most of my friends would be like, hey, can I just be a guest on your show? <laughs> it's yeah, you've got just random people. They're, they're actually just watching psychedelics on an iPhone listening right. to <laughs> Journey. I don't know what you're supposed to listen to. They're listening to Journey and, and you're like, can we talk about freedom? And they're like, I'm doing a thing right now. I, I, I'm really in my zone right here. I don't know what you're, where you're at, but I'm just not there right now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, most of my friends would definitely be uh, all about that. Um, so you went to the University of Oklahoma. Uh-huh, proud graduate. And then you went to New York where you were in uh, Amy Poehler's undercut. Uh, how did I forget the name of this? I didn't write that one down because I always knew it. Oh, you're probably thinking upright of the Citi Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. For yes. a moment, I was like, did I date Amy Poehler? I don't remember <laughs> that, but... Well, that's 20, 2017 was kind of a blur for me. Maybe right. I did. Um, yeah, I was a part of the upright citizen, or I shouldn't say I, 
I, I would be incorrect in saying I was a part of the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater because I wasn't a house performer there, but I was comedically educated by the people at, at UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade. So UCB, um, founded by Amy Poehler and uh, a, a few other people, uh, but she's the most most noted one, the most the one people are more, more likely to know outside of improv circles. Uh, that is kind of the, the flagship um, improv uh, generator in New York, maybe right. in the country. I think a lot of people know Second City. I'm not really sure who's top dog between the two of them, but that's definitely the biggest one in LA and New York. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I was educated there. I am, um, if not funnier, I'm at least more credentialed uh, having <laughs> gone through that. But but I, I do think I'm funnier. You actually learn a lot of um, very useful uh, comedic concepts when you're taking improv classes. And it's not not even in the sense of like rules for the sake of rules, but just best practices where if you're going to do a, a scene where you, you you and I are doing improv and we just begin a scene and it's it's at a laundromat, it's not funny if we don't know each other and I'm buying laundry from you because now we have to go through this weird process of like introducing ourselves and haggling. And it's much funnier if I have a standing relationship with you. And there, right. there's all sorts of things like that. So it was a very useful experience. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'll say also was a um, – uh, I, I feel like I have credentials from a very, very, very politically correct organization as a result. So I've, I've gone through that, uh, that process and I, I know what was okay to say at the time. It does change periodically, but at the time I, I was, I was up to snuff on it. So how is it that you ended up working at the house of rep? Like you, you went with upright citizens brigade and then you start working at the house of representatives. No, the other way around. Okay, I, it was so the other way I, around. Uh, I worked for the House of Representatives um, a couple of years out of college. Uh, so I had, what did I do? I lived in, I graduated college. I went to Britain for a year uh, where I, I worked mostly as a tour guide in Edinburgh and did some other random, very legal things in England. Uh, and then I lived in LA briefly. I lived in a tool shed behind my best friend's house while I worked as a uh, an extra in TV and film. Uh and uh, and then went from there to very logically working for the House of Representatives when you're with the, the apt. Most people incubate inside of a tool shed for about six months in L.A. and go, you know what I should do? I should work for Congress, uh, which is what I do. <laughs> so I, I moved up to D.C. and I was there for a bit. Uh, I worked for two congressmen. I worked for uh, Dan Boren, who is a blue dog Democrat out of Oklahoma. Okay. And uh, had Dan been born um, maybe eight miles to the West, he would have been a Republican. Uh, but he was born in kind of a political dynasty. But he's a good guy. I like Dan. I, I hope I hope Dan goes back into public service at some point. Um, and uh, the other guy that I worked for was Tim Holden from Pennsylvania, uh, who was also a blue dog Democrat. And I, I myself was a blue dog in those days. Now I'm an independent who leans libertarian. Okay. Yeah. I, I know that on your show on the 23rd, I believe, uh, you described yourself as a classical liberal. You had the, yeah. you had the flaming, the flaming liberal. Oh yeah. John DeVore. Yeah. John Man, DeVore. I, I'm impressed with your encyclopedic knowledge of the show. Thank you. I'm very flattered. Yeah. No, I, I love your show. I think it's a great show. Your Christmas episode, the Snuffies Christmas oh, episode. Thank you. I laughed so hard at that episode. And honestly, I want more stories about Cedric, the Christmas horse. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to swoon. Thank you. Uh, I, loved putting the Christmas episode together. That was, that might be my favorite thing I've ever done creatively. It might be, it was, uh, so for, for your listeners that haven't watched, uh, haven't listened to my podcast. Um, normally the way I set it up is I like being funny up top and then I have a guest on. So I'll do, uh, I'll do a, a commercial that's always funny. Um, I, I think, I think I can, I can, I can be real with you. I, on, on my podcast, I, I maintain, the illusion that these are all real ads and real advertisers. But the truth is that I don't have any yet, so I just make them up. 
and I, I endeavor to make them as funny as I can. And I, I amuse myself because, uh, you know, a lot of our sponsors are uh, like uh, this week. It's, it's Silverthorne Pharmaceuticals, maker of Kilbitol, Kilbitol. the homicide pill yeah, kil- uh, and things like that. So um, the the main one is Snuffies, which is a uh, uh, a it, it is a diner where all of the wait staff rides horses. And so I, I have like a full week of just describing this to people and and then arguing with listeners like please don't take your horse there you're not supposed to bring your horse it's just the waiters that are on horseback you're and then then i'll get really flustered and be like why would you why would you think a horse burger is made out of horse it's a horse themed restaurant so for the christmas episode i did a and i think it was a full hour yeah a solid hour of scripted comedy which by the way is a colossal undertaking uh, on top of another job or on top of doing your regular job but it's a full hour of just me creating this bizarre universe where everyone's fixated on horses. Uh, it gets a little political at one point because I do a, I do Bernie Sanders version of, uh, uh a Christmas Carol, which actually fits very nicely. Cause it really does. Like he, you could see how Ebenezer Scrooge would be kind of a, an evil fetish for Bernie Sanders, but it was so weird. It was such a weird special that I made and it was so funny and I enjoyed it. And I like the whole time I'm making that, I'm like, I can't believe this is my job. I can't believe that I came in and was like, hey, we're going to need some more Christmas music for this horse stuff. And everyone was like, yeah, we better get in on that. No one ever like, we're like, why are you making a horse special for Christmas? What possible service does this have to do with news, politics, or culture? Just, they were fine with it. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, I was, because Christmas, this Christmas, uh, my parents uh, went to Philadelphia and uh, they left me here in Florida by myself. So I was just hanging out by myself here in Florida. So technically I spent Christmas with you. Uh, so oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. For I, that. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that I did. I'm glad that that was a, a fun thing that you could do. Well, I've, I've, I've done a Christmas without family before and it can be a tad lonely. I'm, I, I hope that I made it more fun for you. You did. You and uh, Die Hard made it very fun yeah. for me. So. <laughs> or yeah, yeah. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't Die, oh, I'm sorry. You watched Die Hard. Yeah. I thought you, there, there's also a bit in the, the Christmas episode where I am, uh, I, I'm, I'm doing uh, the Grinch who stole Christmas from memory, but also I'm drunk. So it, it slowly turns into the predator. <laughs> Uh, because I can't keep the two straight. So yeah, there, yeah. We, you got a lot of action films at your Christmas this year. Uh, yeah, tons of action happened this year. I was going to jump into Gremlins after that, but then I decided that I'd had too much of too much. Action. Yeah, you, you you'd had enough. You don't you don't need any more any more uh, uh, shocks over the course of the evening. Right. Um, so the recent news that came out, which we're pre-recording this for anybody who doesn't know, but uh, news that came out today is that uh, they're reopening the government, which. Based on the show that I did this past week, uh, we bet that that wouldn't happen for a very long time. So we were wrong. Um, but I but th- they, they haven't permanently reopened the government. No. They've opened it for three weeks. For three weeks. For three weeks. And as we were talking right before the show, I honestly believe the only reason they're doing it is because of the Super Bowl. I agree. I think that um, I, I would love it if Donald Trump just never did another State of the Union address and ended that ridiculous imperial vestige of European countries and just treated it like an actual letter. I think it would be, I would, I would give him major props if he were to just tweak the whole thing for Burger King. That would be my ideal would be tweeting the state of the union address from Burger King. However, it is Donald Trump and Donald Trump feeds on attention, negative or positive, usually negative. And uh, so the idea that he's going to entirely bypass the state of the union address is, is non-existent. You know, I mean, we all knew he was going to figure out a way to do this at some point. I thought he was just going to wait till it ended, but nope, he's, he can't even wait for that. He can't postpone it two or three weeks. He's going to have to do it now. Yes. I, um, when, uh, as soon, 
as soon as he did that, I said, they're only doing this because of the Super Bowl. And then I actually, it, it kind of worked out really well because since you were coming on the show, I remembered when we were talking last year, uh, we started talking about tribalism and, and you know, the Republicans versus the Democrats is very strictly a bu- bunch of tribalism. And then you start comparing it to sports and how people say it's my team or it's our team. Yeah. And, you know, like people congratulate you when your team wins. Um, even though Which you... part of the part of the reason, by the way, I prefer the term classical liberal is I think that that adds just a, yeah. a three millimeters of distance between a tribe label, because uh, if you say libertarian, um, it's it's more immediately in the American zeitgeist right now. And so people are like, well, F you uh, and don't want to listen to you. If a classical liberal, they're like, they're not quite sure what you mean. And so you might get one more sentence where you're able to actually engage in productive, thoughtful discourse. Right. And. Right now, I kind of consider myself more of a minarchist than anything, and like everything else after that, people are just like, "I don't know what that is," and I'm like, "Great, now I can talk yeah. to you about everything." Um, which, 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 by the way, I don't, I don't think most people actually want to know what you think. Is what I'm learning is that most people just want to know what team you're on, so they can either dismiss you or give you a T-shirt. Right. That seems to be the order of the day. Exactly, and that's the way that I've been finding it. Is if I say what I think, and people immediately say either. They either accuse me of being a libtard or they accuse me of being a Nazi, which, okay, I didn't. Which, if you're a minarchist, you know, like, uh, I, I can't think of a more antithetical political philosophy than power is bad. <laughs> power is bad is the opposite of fascism. You cannot get more, fi- like, anarchism and fascism are about as far apart as you can get. So minarchism would be, you know, just the second farthest you could get. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was, I, I, unfortunately, I don't think anybody's called me a Nazi yet, but uh, yeah, that, that kind of idea of just conflating anyone you disagree with. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we did a little bit here on the muddied waters of freedom a couple of weeks ago after the, uh, MAGA hat wearing kid blew up the mm-hmm. internet and we made a joke and we said, have you been stared at by somebody wearing a MAGA hat? If so, you may be entitled to financial compensation. And we idiotically put our real phone number on it. So we start getting flooded with calls. So then we figured, how do we turn this into something we can use? So we started calling them back. And we've been recording those phone calls, and we're going to be releasing them throughout. Nice. Throughout. But <laughs> the amount of people who won... Wait, just, I just want to be clear, this, you doxed yourself uh, as part of this bit? We, we, we doxed... On, a, on, a, on, a, on a, an issue involving Donald Trump, red hats, and social justice, you doxed yourself? That yeah, was we, your really did, we really didn't look, think that one through. We thought everybody yeah. would consider it a joke, and nobody would take it seriously. But we totally underestimated the uh, intelligence of America. And because uh, they just started calling, we were getting at the beginning, we were getting like 50, 60 calls a day and they were leaving messages. Some of them were the very serious messages of, yeah, uh, I was just on the bus and some guy in a MAGA hat was staring at me. And I was wondering if I'm actually entitled to financial compensation. Wait, wait, for real? For real. So now, do you think you're being trolled? Are these people playing the game with you, or is this an actual thing? I think it's. I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. And so that's why, like, through the messages, we're trying to decide which ones to call back, and uh, we want to call back the ones that are being serious. We've yeah. also gotten the opposite side of it, where people think we're being real and have threatened to come and find us and beat us. Now, is that because they're angry that you might pay people that are victimized by hats? Or are they angry that you're making fun of people being victimized by saying hats? That we're going to get money for people who are being victimized by people wearing hats. So they, so they, they think you're real yes. and they're mad that you are. Yes. Okay. That's, 
man, I got to say these two groups deserve each other. They do. Like they definitely. I, I would say in general, if 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 you're if you want to go outside with a crowbar and just whack people you don't like, you deserve all of the other morons with crowbars going outside to whack people they don't like. I like we should just we should have a stadium for political people that want to want to do the purge. So the rest of us, like the 80% of the American population that can actually have dinner with someone they can disagree with, can go about our lives. And most of the people that I know don't agree with me on most of the issues. Just sure. the community that I hang out in, I'm I'm in a minority and I understand that. But I can still sit down and hang out with them yeah. and we yeah. have normal conversations. It doesn't matter yeah. that we disagree. I don't understand why it has to be such a strong divide in this country that we seem to be going with right now. And I, you know what? I, I, I've come to the opinion that I think it is a mirage of sorts in that um, I think both anecdotally and in, term, in terms of polling, most Americans are, um, I mean, like really like 70 to 80 percent do not have this um, – my opponent is also my existential enemy and filled with evil and badness perspective. That is not that is not the plurality or majority opinion of the American people. However, what we're seeing, though, is you're seeing the kind of um, loud, obnoxious MAGA hat people on one side and the I'm going to wear ninja pajamas and beat up people on college campuses, people on the other side uh, that are the loudest and uh Anger and volume do very well in media, and they do very well on social media. So if you're just consuming media, and like this is a fun thought experiment for your your anybody listening to this, think about the amount of outrage you see on a regular basis. Now, now make a delineation in your mind. Is this something I'm seeing on a computer screen, or is it something that I'm actually witnessing? And I suspect that you'll find that the actual shrill, angry people throwing stuff is almost all online. I'm not saying that everybody's super polite and wonderful because I've uh, there's all sorts of people that are mean to me uh, on a regular basis too. But I, I do think, I, I really think that there are a ton of people. Like uh, Nixon used to talk about the silent majority. I think there's an exhausted majority. I think there is a majority of American people that are like, you know what? I'm a Democrat. My neighbor is a Republican. He's a good guy. We watch football together. I, I didn't vote the same way as him, but I don't think I need to kill him by dropping a piano on him. Uh, and I think that is the that is the actual dominant position in American politics, and it's not being catered to, which is the amazing thing, is that we're not there. I I I with the libertarian card, I'm going market niche. I also happen to fall into that, and I happen to believe very strongly in you know uh, critical thinking, open mindedness, tolerance, and civil discourse. Those are things that I've I've building my career on. But at the same time, I look and I'm like, how are we not figuring out how to actually interact with the largest group of people, which is the people that don't want to punch each other. Um, yeah, I, we, uh, I, the way that it is with me and my friends mainly is that we disagree politically and we're fine, but if it does come to sports, that's where we end up having most of our issues. Like yeah. we care more about our sports teams than we do about whether or not we disagree politically. And I think that, that that's because we know that sports isn't ever actually going to break us up as a friend. Yeah. Uh, I would, uh, I, I'd like for that to be the, the, uh, I should say like they're, there, there are good conversations in American discourse that we should be angry about. Like, I'm, I'm not saying there's a place, there's not, I'm not saying there's not a place for anger. There is. If something is truly an injustice, if something's truly heinous, if something's truly bigoted, we should be angry. Uh, but what I'm finding now is that the, the problem that has entered American discourse is contempt, where it's not like I, you and I, I, I might, I don't tend to get angry, but I could go out with you and we could argue about, I don't know, the differences between classical liberalism and minarchism. Or, you know, we find something we could argue about right. and we might get mad about it. But there's a difference between uh, I am angry at you because you don't have the same opinion as me versus you are beneath my contempt. 
Uh, I think that you are a terrible person and I don't even care what you think. What I'm going to do is I'm going to alley-oop you. I'm going to use you as a springboard for my social media following and show what a moron you are to show all of these people how awesome I am. And whether or not you and I interact in any capacity is really secondary to me doing that. That I find to be very caustic in terms of discourse. Um, so you, um, you created a character years ago who was great at the political discourse. Um, and I would love to see him come back at any time. Uh, Buck Schwartzmore. Buck Schwartzmore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, he's, uh, he's, he's had, um, a four video arc now he's appeared four times. So he, um, I did a series of sketch videos several years ago now, five years ago, uh, where, Buck is um, two things as a character. He's you don't really we don't know his political affiliation. I don't think I ever say it, but he's a congressman and he is motivated entirely by the joy of destroying a political opponent. That is his entire M.O. He does not have an actual political agenda that he wants to enact. He doesn't even so much want to win elections. He just wants to beat someone. So in, in the first instance that you see him, he's uh, he's a congressman and he's he's running unopposed. Uh, and he goes, you know, I'm running unopposed, but uh, I know not to take things for granted. One of you is probably going to stab me in the back. Who? Probably Jeremy Thornton. And then it cuts to this guy in the district. It's like, what? Who? Who? I don't even I don't know. I'm not even registered to vote. And uh, and, it, it, and Buck leads this just angry, visceral, preemptive attack campaign against this unsuspecting guy. Uh, and then, you know, he gets his comeuppance at the end. And then the rest of that series is just him falling from one rung politically to the next, where in the next instance, he's running for fire marshal in his building uh, and doing the exact same stuff. Uh, and then finally, he's just running for jury foreman and again, running on a vicious attack campaign. Um, and then I and then we were I was able to resurrect him for reason, which is a lot of fun because I got to play opposite Austin Bragg, who's brilliantly funny guy and a very, very talented guy. Uh, and we did a square off where we are the mayors of two towns and we're trying to convince Amazon HQ2 to move to our town and we're constantly one-upping each other. So it goes from like, oh, we'll give you some subsidies and also the restaurants are good here to like, we will give you permission to hunt and murder <laughs> anyone in our town as long as we get that money. Uh, yeah, he's he's a fun character. I, I've yet to figure out quite what to do with him. I think... Um, it, you know, right now I'm very focused on the podcast. I don't know that it would tr that would translate well to podcast because it would basically sound like me only angry. That's right. um, but I I think it's a probable it, there, there's a probable likelihood that at some point I will do another visual comedy show, uh, a la mostly weekly or something like that. At which point doing some sketch would make sense and bringing back Buck Schwartzmore would also make sense. Or maybe I'll just run for office as Buck Schwartzmore. I don't know. Um, so you also wrote you've written numerous books, but one of them is. Uh... Laughter is better than communism, which I have. Laughter is better than communism. Uh, yeah, this actually sits on my uh, nightstand, and I read it. Oh, thank uh, you. I read it often. Uh, it's one of my favorite books. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, thank you. Do you have any other plans on any new books coming out or anything like that right yeah, now? Yeah, I do actually, and I'll, I'll say uh, thank you. I'm I'm delighted that you like laughter is better than communism. I, I think um the the um do, do you know uh, Don Boudreau by chance? Uh, not uh, our, not by name. He's, He's an economist, I uh, think, at George Mason. Uh, he had I I'd had a kind of preliminary version of that book that was originally going to be called From the Monkey Cage, uh, which is a, an H.L. Mencken reference. And um, I, uh, I I showed an advanced copy to uh, Don Boudreau, and the, the intro mentioned that laughter is better than communism. He laughed at that, and I was like, mm, that is a better title. Um, the book is really – I think it might it, – it might better be or more aptly be titled as Economic Fallacies I Should Have Learned in College. Like I, I that that is the kind of stuff I probably should have learned in undergraduate because there's a bunch of things in there that aren't even really 
Um, I don't think they're even super libertarian. It's just like, you know, the, the idea of zero sum fallacies, the, the, what comparative advantages, I mean, stuff that like, you know, mainstream liberal economists would, would go, yeah, those are terrible cartoons that you drew, but the, the economic description is pretty apt. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing that. Uh, I am working on a book. Um, I, I'm getting really, and I, it, it's, it's so proto right now. I've written maybe, I've written like five or six chapters, so I've done some of the heavy lifting. I haven't come up with a good title, and I, I preface that because I don't know how to explain this in a catchy way yet. So this is very embryonic. But um, I'm, I'm moving to a place where, having been in uh, political media for a few years now, and having been, you know, at least ankle deep in policy, I am less enthralled with policy now than I used to be. But I'm very interested in how people think. I'm, I'm interested in why. For example, the, the MAGA hat boys scenario that you mentioned a few minutes ago, why is it that that has such a, a visceral and dramatically different response from people even after all of the evidence has been put out? Why is that so different to people? Uh, I find that really intriguing, and I'm, I'm writing a book about uh, how political cognition affects people uh, and, and I th basically why – um, you, you think other people are insane when you disagree with them. And I, the other thing I'm trying to do there is I'm also trying to break apart this idea that there is a left-right spectrum, which I think is just a ham-fisted, ridiculous way to look at American politics. It might have made sense at some point in the past. It doesn't make sense now. Um, I, I feel like, I don't know what your experience has been, Matt, but I feel like when I talk to people that are really Democrat or really Republican, I feel like I am living in 19th century England and I am trying to describe Judaism. And they're like, oh, so you're like, well, you're basically Catholic when it comes to tradition. And I'm like, no, I'm not, no. And the Protestant's like, yeah, but you don't believe in papal infallibility. So, we, okay, so you're, you're half Protestant, you're half Catholic. You're Protestant on papal infallibility. You're Catholic on tradition. And I'm like, no, it turns out there's more than two things. Right. It turns out there's more than two ways of looking at things. And I, I that, that whole, whenever you say left wing, right wing, you're, you're trying to cram people into that box of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I want you to exist in the system that I like and I know where I just have one enemy that I can hate. And I, I think it's more complex than that. So I'm kind of writing a book that gets into the thinking behind that and kind of tries to shake it out of you. I, I, if, I, if I accomplish my goal, it will be the next best thing to an acid trip with Matt at, uh, at Burning Man, uh, where, where you can read it and go, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about this stuff differently. So that's my hope. And I, I'm, I don't have immediate plans for it, but I'd like to get it out before the next election because I think that would be the most beneficial time to put it out. No, absolutely. And everybody looks at it as this right-left paradigm and they're like, oh, so you libertarians are centrists. And it's like, no, we're definitely not. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just I just had Tom Woods on my program today and I would not describe that man as a centrist. No, he is, uh, he, he is, he is not, he is not looking to like average the gap <laughs> between the Republican and Democratic parties. That guy is an out-of-the-box thinker who's got his own radical agenda that he is pursuing. And uh, the, the people that I would, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I say I'm a classical liberal. I'm not a, a lockstep firebrand libertarian. Those that I know that are lockstep firebrand libertarians are not centrists. No. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that people are like, oh, so you're just like, you know, I'm not a Republican who likes to smoke pot. And I'm not a Democrat who wants to keep more of my money. Like that's, that seems to be the two that people typically seem to go with. For yeah. me. <laughs> and uh, I, what, what I find so like, particularly when talking to progressives, what I find weird about that, like to, to the credit of progressives, I do find that progressives are very good at, or they're better um, on average at inhabiting a space of ambiguity and having fluid concepts. They tend to be okay at that. So for example, um, when I was a kid, there were only two known genders in my universe. Now there are a lot of them. Now I am, I'm fine with that. It doesn't, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. And so if somebody goes, you know what? I don't identify as a male or a female. 
Uh, I, I think it's incumbent upon me to identify them as they would like to be identified, just out of basic Oklahoman politeness. I will do that to a point. If someone wants me to call them Pope or something, I'm not going to call them Pope. But um, you know, but I'm, I'm ha- and I'll say like they, there might very well be a, um, a a neurological or physiological component to that. I'm happy to accommodate. I'm just saying I'm on I'm on that side of the stuff. As are progressives. And what I find weird is that you can tell a progressive like, hey, the latest fatwa came out. There's now you know 30 genders, uh, and they're like, great, all on board. But if you go, by the way, there's more than two political positions. They're like, nope, nope, nope. There's only two. There's <laughs> clearly this is science. There's Republican molecules and Democrat molecules. Those are the only atoms which exist. You are one of those two things. You know, the in this whole debate, the only thing that we are for sure making up, a hundred percent, we're making it up is politics. There's no actual physical thing that is a Republican, a Democrat, or Libertarian. Why do there only have to be two options? For, for 380, 360 million Americans or whatever it is, 600, I can't remember. It's more than 300 million. There's a bunch of us. Why are there <laughs> only two perspectives? That seems weird to me. Which uh, I know that uh, parts of um, I know that parts of uh, Maine and California have tested out uh, adding extra political parties in. And then you can vote. Uh, what is it? Tiered voting. And you can yeah, rank, rank choice voting. Rank yeah. Cho- yeah, thank Maine you. has done a good job of that. California's kind of mangled it. Yeah, that's not surprising. It's California. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not terribly surprised by that. Yeah, the rank choice voting, and I, I think that doing that could end up allowing more voices to be heard and more political parties to go, come oh, yeah. out there. If, if I could, if I could pick one electoral reform in the United States, that would be the thing I would double down on: is ranked choice voting. That would be a game changer that if would, that happened. Yeah, that would be huge, and I would, uh, I would definitely support that uh, for this nation. Um, and and it would, it would it, weirdly, it would accommodate so many more people. Even if you're not third party, if you're not libertarian or whatever, um, when you look at um, American polarization over the last um, twenty years, I, I had a guest on my podcast, Morris Fiorina who blew my mind, where his, his premise is, we're not actually getting more polarized. It's just that the parties are getting better sorted. And the, the idea behind that is, I, I mentioned earlier on your podcast that I used to be a Blue Dog Democrat. I worked for Blue Dog Democrats. There are far fewer Blue Dog Democrats than there were even 10 years ago. Uh, there used to be progressive Republicans. There used to be Rockefeller Republicans. They've all been shot. There's no more of them. So if you're a conservative, you're probably a Republican. If you're a, Demo- or a progressive, you're probably a Democrat. And if you're not lockstep with either of those two positions, you're probably an independent. And there are lots of different configurations which exist. You might be in West Virginia. You might be kind of an FDR type Democrat where you want big government, but you're culturally traditional and you like guns. That that combination exists. You might be. Um, you I, I think this this used to exist more commonly. You might be in Maine and you might be very much a country club Republican, but also like really like uh, gay bars and that like this. You're fine with that, right? Um, there's all those combinations, and right now we've got two that we're allowed to pick. And there's all these people in the middle that libertarian or not are just not really enfranchised in that. So they're going, hey, do you want the uh, the choice you don't like or the choice you hate? Which one do you want? And if you had ranked choice voting, I mean, you could, you know, I love Jill Stein. I'm going to put her number one. I know she's not going to win. And I'm going to put my number two as Hillary Clinton. And number three is going to be Donald Trump because Americans love voting against people. We right. like that. We like being able to vote against somebody. Um, you know, I like Ron Paul. He's probably not going to get it. I'll vote for Romney if he doesn't get it. Uh, you know, last election, I think Gary Johnson would have done a lot better if that had been an available option, uh, because very few people would have actually written in Hillary or Trump as their first pick. They might have still won, but you would have seen a, an explosion of third party activity. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Gary Johnson and Jill Stein both would have probably gone above the five uh, percent mark. Yeah, had I would think so. I, I would think thing. merely as even if people didn't know who they were, just as a protest vote, Gary Johnson would have done because at that point. All the Republicans that 
you know, either couldn't bring themselves to vote for Trump and, and like didn't vote or voted for uh, Ed McMullen or whatever um, would have, you know, might, might have just done that as a signal. Um, and, uh, and then there also would have been a ton of Republicans who begrudgingly voted for Trump, but would have also voted it as a signal where they're like, this is, I'm, this guy's my choice over Hillary, but not my choice overall. Right. Um, so again, I know that you said that you don't have a lot of time today, so, uh, going to wrap it up with you real here, but, uh, is there anything you want to pitch? Obviously we've talked about something's off with Andrew Heaton. We talked about laughter is the best comment, uh, is better is the best communist. <laughs> No, is better than communism. Yeah, um, laughter's the best communism. It's like medicine, be- right? <laughs> laughter's both the best medicine and the best variant of socialism. Anybody who um, believes that needs Kilbertol. Um, uh, yeah, I'll say um, if uh, if if you're looking to learn about economic fallacies, or I'd say if you got a kid going to college, then then the the book you mentioned, Laughter's Better Than Communism, is a good one to go for. And and I. I'm not going to claim the cartoons are very good, but I will say it's funny. It's it's an enjoyable read. It is. Um, the other thing I'm going to say is that uh, I, I think uh, listeners of your show would probably like my show. Uh, my my show, I, I, I bring on a lot of fun guests. I bring on a lot of comedians. There's a guy that eats fire for a living that gives me my foreign policy perspectives. Uh, but I'm I'm endeavoring to build something that is thoughtful and funny simultaneously. And I'm also, to get to what we were just talking about, um, I think it's very important to actively display having people that you disagree with uh, on my podcast and getting along with them and being like, you know what? I, this is my friend. They're a progressive liberal, or this is my friend. He's a conservative Republican. I don't really believe them on a bunch of stuff, but I've invited them on the program because I like them and I would like to see a different point of view. And I, I think that there is a very underserved niche of people that are looking for thoughtful civil discourse with actual different opinions rather than just having what they already believe shouted back at them from an echo chamber. So that's what I'm working on. Beautiful. Uh, to everybody else, remember, you can follow us at Facebook.com slash Muddied Waters of Freedom. You can follow us on Instagram at Muddied Waters of Freedom, on Twitter at Muddied underscore Waters. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Muddied Waters of Freedom. And you can find this in every other episode at MuddiedWatersOfFreedom.com. All new episodes next week of Muddied Waters of Freedom, uh, My Fellow Americans with Spike, and The Writer's Block. So we will- I, I am. I am swinging from a seven story window. Throwing parties in a 10 by 7 cell It's a stunning the legs I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help Yeah, I am waving while I drown Don't bother swimming out to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to use your body as a life raft Cause if there's room enough for one There must be room enough for two I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset Sipping on savory water till my liver turns blue.
myself It's a standard The lengths I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help